David Stoppiger owned a chain of motels. He put up $30,000 for the picture. I think we spent nineteen. Um, the story of the uh, magician is he was a friend of mine who belonged to the Magic Castle, and we needed a uh, sorcerer, an evil sorcerer for the movie. So uh, we thought he could come and do, you know, on-camera tricks. But, of course, he had a very traditional act. Um, and so the tricks were actually kind of lame, you know, like you've seen them a thousand times before. And uh, not only that, but he would continually blow the tricks like that. <clears throat> so we thought that was pretty funny. And since we had to use all the footage, we were on such a low budget, uh, we thought we would use the uh, the bad outtakes. Um because then the story becomes uh, he's a lame magician and Chan uses him to fool the peasants um, like Simon. So that's pretty funny. Uh, the more we thought about it, the funnier it got. And, uh, you know, the, the world of Furious began to develop in a comedic way, thanks to uh, Mika Elkin, the uh, magician. Um, this is our first helicopter shot. We... Uh, uh, rented a helicopter from Santa Monica Airport, uh, kind of a shell-shocked Vietnam War veteran, and um, we set up three major scenes uh, to shoot with the helicopter. It took one hour flying from Santa Monica Airport up to Will Rogers State Park, where we shot the film. And um, we had the extras ready to go on the ground, or the actors. Um, you can see a little bit of the wash of the helicopter coming into this shot. At the very bottom of the frame, we're kind of amazed it didn't. Uh, it wasn't worse than that. Um, we did uh, at the end of the film land at, at the top of the peak to drop the actors off, uh, so we could do the big circling shot. And uh, he asked, uh, "Do you have permission to land?" And it's like we're like, "Oh yeah, sure. You know, yeah, the permit's back at the airport. We'll show it to you when we get back." Um, so he actually took our word for it and and uh, did what we needed. But it cost like 350 bucks for the hour, so no big deal. Um, that's Arlene Montano. She was Miss Philippines, and uh, she was Phil's girlfriend, and she was a doll. She was also a black belt and didn't take crap from anybody. She could kick your Adam's apple with her toe and kill you. Um, we did... Uh, want these guys to be Mongol warriors, but uh, they turned out to be Laplanders. Uh, so, you know, the guys like blonde and everything. So um, uh, we thought we'd go ahead and make them Canadian. Uh, and so we used the uh, uh, the Mackenzie uh, Karukuku call as their, um, as their gathering call. So we thought that was funny too. That's the Magic Tusk. Arlene had a, a little um, a stand with a, a nail in it uh, in her hand, and we, we blew on it just off camera to make it uh, move. Um, this is all Will Rogers State Park. We wanted to film the entire movie on the west side um, because our offices were on the west side, and we were living on the west side down in Venice. <clears throat> and we didn't want to drive more than, you know, 10 minutes uh, from our house to uh, shoot the movie because it was just too hard. There were only two of us, uh, Tom and I, uh, making the film. Uh, we didn't really have a crew. Um, uh, we had a doorway dolly and uh, an Airy 2B that we shot the film with. Uh, Tom pushed the dolly and I shot the camera. Um, here's some nice cliffs. 
that Arlene actually climbed. You see a big wide shot of her actually climbing up the cliff. We never thought about the fact that this might be dangerous. Um, there she is, climbing up the uh, sheer cliff. So I suppose we were trying to catch her. The camera's tilted here about 45 degrees. We didn't want to really kill these guys. Um, that's a little friend of ours named Jairo Dyer. Came up from Mexico to help us. Um, this guy, I don't even remember who he is. We got the costumes from uh, Western Costume. You know, the whole film was shot in a week. It was shot in six days. So our expenses were low. The costume rentals were, you know, $50. And uh, that's Steve, Louisiana, who was our stunt coordinator. And he was a guy trying to break into the industry. And he did a great job on the stunts. We're really happy with him. Here's this dude again. This is the top of... Uh, a peak in Will Rogers State Park. And um, that's a little magic box and a, a skull. That's Hiro again, climbing up the mountain. And that's, uh, again, the little gadget uh, with a nail on it, which she grabbed with her hand as she picked it up. Uh, the big failure of the movie really is the casting because the uh, the extras that we cast uh, were mostly cast for their uh, karate fighting ability and not for their acting. I think if we had cast for acting, it would have been a different cast. But the whole idea is the movie was uh, martial arts. Oh, the cool stars. Yeah, we, we were going to try to actually get those things going into the stick, but we couldn't pull it off. Uh, this guy, he's got to go. Um, this guy was actually quite a big kickboxer, and he was really tall, and we wanted a giant Mongol. Uh, we should have cast Andre the Giant, but uh, he was the best we could do. Anyway, we did shoot the movie in six days. Um, this is a treehouse location. Uh, some friend of Tom's uh, lived up in, um, like, Mandeville Canyon or something, Laurel Canyon, lived in a treehouse. So we used it for a location. This is Simon Ree, who went on to uh, have a great career as a stunt coordinator in, uh, you know, A-pictures. He is actually a very top guy. He's, he's really sharp. Um, we all assumed that he would be the big star. Phil and Simon had not made any films yet. This was their first uh, project. Um, and Phil, of course, went on to uh, make the best of the best series of movies, and a bunch of other really, really good action movies. Phil was quite talented, very good filmmaker. I really admire him. Uh, the little kids were Simon and Phil's students. Uh, they had um, uh, each had a dojo where they taught karate. So these are their uh, child students. Uh, one of the reviews said that the movie is filled with uh, fat adolescent warriors, and I guess that means these guys. He's not that fat, <clears throat> but there are a couple chubby kids. This is like a little Disney shot. We thought uh, we were going to make the Disney movie. It really looks pretty. I like how the picture looks. It's all in uh, 35 millimeter on Agfa Gewurt. We didn't want to shoot uh, um, Kodak. It was a little expensive. And the Gewurt also had a very uh, wide um, latitude. You could really get a good high end, lots of good whites um, with Agfa. We really liked the film.
oh, you kids. That's what we told him to say. Just go, oh, you kids. Simon could never quite figure out why there was no dialogue. Um, it wasn't really a budget consideration because we could have shot sound if we wanted to. Um, but we didn't want to have any dialogue. It was just all, you know, just the way we were thinking. Uh, we were thinking about uh, telling the story visually uh, with pictures. And we figured if we had something for someone to say at any point, we would have them say it. But uh, we never did. Uh, we just sort of kept shooting uh, images, which we also thought was a good idea because uh, the movies for overseas uh, consumption and that way, the people who had to dub the movie wouldn't have to spend much money. We thought that was going to be a, a big sales um, advantage. If there's only like 10 lines of dialogue in the film, um, and only maybe three people saying it, then they wouldn't have to you know, have a big dubbing session. Um, this was Simon supposedly going crazy on the, uh, on the bag. Uh, we should have destroyed it and had... Uh, you know, bag stuffing flying everywhere, but for some reason we didn't do it, even though this was a crappy old bag. I think Simon wouldn't let us destroy his bag like we wanted him to. We told, we told him to bring an old bag, you can tell it is, but uh, we wanted to slash it up and have him destroy it. He wouldn't let us. So here it knocks down, and, well, he knocked the bag down. So that's it. He's furious. That's all there is to it. Um... Six days of shooting, we, we had to use uh, first takes. Uh, we could not overshoot. We only had uh, enough money for um, 90 minutes of film. It cut down to a 72-minute movie. Uh, we thought we were going to shoot about a one-to-one -one ratio. We were shooting for 90 minutes, um, but there was, you know, flash frames and stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor. So when we turn the camera on, uh, at the end of every take, we go, okay, that's it, it's in the movie. Uh, there, there were no second takes. We warned everybody, you know, unless the camera fell over or a fly landed on somebody's nose, we wouldn't do a second take. We figured out um, how to use all the second takes later in the film, uh, in the credits and in the uh, Buddha uh, flashback, we used a lot of the second takes. So here's uh, Bob Folkard again. We loved the, how he kicks the dog. This is so hilarious. The, the dog actually bites him. It's so funny. That is funny. Okay. Because, you know, if you're a villain, you, you kick the hero's dog, right? That's how you know you're a bad guy. Um, what's on the card is actually the, uh, the name of a... Uh, of a Chinese restaurant. So there you go. So he gets the Chinese restaurant. Okay, here we have the cool dolly shots. Uh, believe it or not, we use the dolly in every single scene of the movie. We wanted to keep it moving and uh, almost worked. That was comedy. We're going straight for Disney-type comedy all the way through. There's the restaurant. Okay. Now the story is that the bad guys live in a futuristic complex where Simon lives in a um, rural, you know, ancient treehouse. And, and, and that separates the two sides. There's Phil. We, we sprayed his hair silver because we wanted him to be an old um, wizard, you know, master. Okay, this guy's lame. <clears throat> He's supposed to break these boards, 
And this is real karate. These guys are really breaking boards. These are not faked. Ah, and he blows it. Every time he, so, so we, since we had to use the takes, like this guy jumps up in the air and breaks two boards with his feet. And of course it takes him three takes. Um, so we just thought we'd just, there he goes, very good. And wait the first line of dialogue. All right. That's it, 12 minutes into the film. Um, so we used all the takes. You know, we used even the ones where they blew it. But they actually really are breaking the boards. So these are kind of remarkable feats. These guys are jumping in the air and breaking two boards, one with each foot. I mean, like they could take two guys out. That's really impressive. That's Howard Jackson, who is the um, um, kickboxing champion of the world. Um, welterweight kickboxing champion of the world. He was really nice. He fought with the uh, with Simon and Phil over the choreography. Um, that's a video truck. I forget where we got it. Because these guys live in a science fiction complex of uh, very high tech. So we don't know what kind of universe this is, but it includes Mongol warriors and science fiction Devo guards. Uh, that's Tom on the right. He is the co-director of the film. And... Um, a little fat guy on the left who uh, was going to work on the sound, but he flaked out on us. I forget what his name is. Um, this is inside uh, Simon's dojo, and we hung up some duvetine for reflections and because there were lights hidden in those mirrors. Uh, these are Simon's students. They're supposed to be the threatening uh, kung fu army, but of course they're like just a bunch of... Uh, you know, Wilshire Boulevard teenagers, and uh, they didn't look too, they didn't look very threatening. I'm sorry. They were the best we could do. They were the people that came out for the movie. Um, so Chan's army is pretty lame. Uh, at this point, we realized that the, the movie was going to be a comedy. Uh, this, these are the offices we had. We had a little uh, desk space in an office building in uh, Marina del Rey. And uh, since we needed an office or some sort of futuristic complex for Chan, we decided to use it. So we blacked out the windows with duvetine and, and lit it. Here's Simon creeping along our blue carpet. Um, we threw a chicken out because, uh, of course, everybody understands by now that uh, uh, Chan is turning his uh, lame army into chickens to serve at his fast food restaurant to lower his overhead. This all comes out later in the film. So there's chickens everywhere. There's Mika, the magician, my friend from the Magic Castle. Um, all the voices, by the way, are either Tom or me, except for Simon. And uh, Chan's voice, uh, Phil, Phil, we didn't like his voice. He had, he had a very heavy um, accent. Um, so, and we, he was supposed to be very old, so we got um, a friend of mine who was, you know, like 75 years old, and we got, he was an actor, and we got him to dub uh, Phil's voice. So um, uh, Phil didn't get to use his own voice. That's, uh, I forget the guy's name. Uh, we did on-camera um, effect of uh, Chan floating. He's sitting on a big teeter-totter that sticks through the background. There's Mika's real magic tricks. This is what he did. We said he got to do some tricks to impress Simon, and he makes a dove come up and then turns it into a handkerchief. Oh, that's so cool, Mika. But when you think about it, these are like really lame tricks. So we thought this was hilarious, that Simon's all impressed, like he's never seen these magic tricks before. And then we show the close-ups, and you can actually see the thing in, in his hand come out, and uh, it's just like... 
the magician stopped being a real sorcerer and started being a kind of a lame magician at this point. We made all these little props. I think Tom made them. Um, the plot is very simple. Everybody talks about the movie that it has an experimental storytelling, and it's not experimental. It's just visual. But the plot is that you've got a... a it's a standard kung fu plot. You have to get the four pieces of the medallion or the three pieces, whatever it is, and uh, put them together, and then it, some magic happens. So it's it's defeating each of the um, uh, henchmen will earn you a piece of the medallion, and each henchman is supposed to be more powerful than the one before, uh, and then you finally have to defeat Mister Big, and uh, that's your standard kung fu plot. We think it's very simple. We think a child could understand it. Everybody gets this. Um, it's just all the other stuff like about the fast food restaurant that sort of emerges out of the um, out of the the story. Oh, you see now Chan has the uh, the uh, magic tusk. He puts it on a nail that's stuck up through the uh, through the floor. You can't see it there because it's lost in the pattern. And then we're just blowing on it, you know, really hard. Uh, to try to get it to move, and uh, it points to the box. Uh, here's the. Uh, we couldn't open that door because we were there at dawn, as you can see, uh, before this office building opens on a Sunday uh, to get our shots, and uh, so that's why we had those kind of awkward cuts because uh, we didn't actually have access to the building. This is just an industrial park in Santa Monica. Big black featureless building. Uh, that's Joyce Tilly. She's a karate guy, and so are these are two guys are karate guys. They agreed to come out to the movie, and and here again we are stuck casting karate dudes instead of actors. Um, at the time, we were really embarrassed about it, and we thought, "Oh crap, we've ruined the movie." But now, when you look back on it, it's actually really funny because they've got these mullet haircuts, and it's also '80s, and these kind of like pedestaches. And uh, and now it's hilarious. Now it fits in with the comedy that the that Simon's friends are these like strange, you know, pedophile-looking mullet-wearing guys in Hawaiian shirts. They're supposed to be tourists at this uh, uh, strange uh, universe that uh, Simon lives in. Um, we were going to get them like brochures. That's this is how they knew the restaurant. It's like yeah, it's on our tour, but we didn't pull that off. So they know about the restaurant. This is uh, also a um, uh, a location of a courtyard in Santa Monica on a Sunday morning um, where, again, just like the black uh, building, we didn't have permission to film. So we figured we wouldn't be seen from the street because this is all closed off. There was only a couple of narrow entrances to this courtyard, and we figured we could film there without anybody bothering us on a Sunday because it was a little uh, office park that was all closed. Um, so we actually went in there, and guys jump off buildings, and we staged this enormous fight, and uh, we just figured we could pull it off in a couple of hours before uh, anybody showed up and stopped us. As it was, um, some policemen actually did show up and ask what we were doing and if we had permits, and uh, and we're like, oh, yeah, 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 they're back on the truck. But we, we got them all enthusiastic. We go, you got to stick around and watch. These guys are going to jump off these buildings. It's really going to be cool. So we figured as long as the cops were there watching, no other cops would come and ask us any questions. 
So we actually uh, kept them there for like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes so that they could see the cool stunts, which was the only time we thought anybody would notice what we're doing because there's guys on top of the buildings jumping off. Um, and uh, we told them we were from the, uh, uh, the blind school of cinema. Um, and uh, we were teaching little blind kids how to make movies. And uh, that's how we got most of our uh, permissions to do things. Uh, we had a letterhead that said BSC from the uh, uh, British Society of Cinematographers. We used their logo, but underneath we put Blind School of Cinema. So it looked very official. Um, and people would say to us, uh, I didn't know that you could make movies if you're blind. And, and we'd say, oh, yeah, you'd be surprised uh, how many directors are working in Hollywood that are completely blind. And people are like, wow, I didn't know that. It's like, yeah, look for this. Look for this when you watch your movie next. Look for that BSC. You'll see all sorts of blind people. And uh, we figured people did. Anyway, here's the fight. This is where um, uh, Howard and uh, Simon got into real serious fights with each other because they both wanted to choreograph and they didn't agree. So when you actually see them fighting, they really are fighting. They're like, because they can't agree on the choreography. It's like, I'll kick you and then you kick me. And they're like, no, I'll kick you. And they're like, hey, get lost. I will pound you. And that's what they did. <clears throat> so this was kind of choreography, but that was a cool thing, you know, they, they came up with kind of cool stuff. Um, this was our friend, oh, who um, helped us on the set a couple times. Uh, so he was on the crew. He came out and played the uh, the chef. Uh, there's Steve Louisiana, our stuntman, who did this falls, and Steve insisted on actually falling onto cardboard boxes hidden in the bushes. Um to do the landings, which you rarely see with a high fall. Usually they cut before the landing, and Steve really, really wanted to do the landings. So, oh, so that actually fell onto the concrete. That really hurts. Um, this was um, kind of a failed montage. This guy's supposed to hit this guy. We're trying to get blood and stuff on him. Uh, didn't quite work. Like splashed blood up on the guy hitting him. Lots of fast cuts. A lot of people, when they watch the movie, they go, oh, it's all in long shot, and you're showing all this the uh, karate. But the thing is, we wanted to show Simon's karate in single shots because um, he was really doing it. We didn't want it to look like camera tricks when he jumps up in the air and hits three guys at once. But like the where the guy was getting hit by the nunchuck, there really are lots of fast cuts because people are like, oh, because of your low budget, you didn't uh, do a lot of fast cuts and everything in one. And it's like, no, not really. Uh, really, we're just trying to show off the karate. So uh, the, there's lots of flurries of cuts and, and editing in the film, much more than you appreciate. There's Howard. He's like, oh, yeah, okay. And here's Joyce trying to act. Uh, we got the cool generic truck. It's supposed to be timeless, like you don't know what kind of world this is. This might be China in the 50s. We don't know. But it's not modern-day Los Angeles. That was the only thing. Um and now she's been killed, or shot anyway, and now Simon's furious. He's furious. Finally trudging back through uh, Malibu Canyon. Um, and there's a um, another location, which is a park, um, just up by uh, AFI. Um, that has this little waterfall. If you hike up far enough, 
in this park. You reach this waterfall. And again, we're on a Sunday morning. We figured nobody would be there. People go there for picnics and hippies go there to meditate at this little waterfall. But we went up and we took this little Buddha and stuck him up there um, because we thought it was picturesque. It burned up a lot more screen time than we expected. Uh, the whispering Buddha telling Simon to beware. Um, and a lot more static than we expected. So sorry about that. But he finally gets the message. You get in these weird editing loops in the movie because we have to use all the footage. If we turn the camera on, we used it. So we literally were editing the camera. We'd, you know, we didn't overshoot like, okay, and a little tail to make sure we got it and cut. It was just like, uh, we started, we said action before we turned the camera on. So people got up to speed and action. Um, we had to use everything. Okay, here's Bob coming out. Not quite as uh, startling as we were hoping. Down the treehouse. We don't know why that uh, pole was just sitting there for Simon to grab. He should have grabbed one of these here on the fence. That would have been much better. Um, Bob was game for the uh, pole fighting. That was one of his specialties, so we figured we'd do a pole fight. However, he's not a very good actor and didn't seem like he was really trying to kill Simon. They did do this choreography. Um, this is one of the weakest uh, scenes in the movie where we were trying to go really wide uh, because we were going for the David Lean thing. Uh, we were making a movie for the big screen, uh, not for television. So when you saw it, you know, widescreen on a big giant screen. This was supposed to be huge environments with little figures in them like Lawrence of Arabia. And we thought that would work to show, you know, the epic um, idea of the film. So when like Arlene's on that mountain at the beginning and she's climbing up and you cut back, you know, it's just a big giant wide shot with this little figure with the music soaring. And uh, it does get an epic feel. We thought we could do it in this scene, but unfortunately the... Um, the scenery wasn't as dramatic as we'd hoped. We, we had a field, and, uh, you know, if we'd had giant snow-capped peaks in the background, I think it would have worked a little better. And as it was, uh, staying in wide shot and playing everything in one, like we did in this scene, uh, got a little tedious. Also, the music is going on and on, and we didn't have confidence that it worked, which actually I think it, it works better than we thought at the time. Um, so during the mix, we turned the music way down because we were kind of like worried that it was annoying, um, which I think was a mistake. I think we should have kept it up. I think the music, I heard a version of the movie with a mix once where the music was just full blast all the way through, and I really liked it better. Um, so I think it was a, a mistake to really mix it down so low. That's kind of a cool little trick Simon came up with. And here's Bob trying to act. He's like, oh, I don't have... Anything in my hands. Oh, gosh. And then Simon chases him in wide shot. And again, we're, you know, just the camera's rolling and we're just burning screen time and trying to play this all, you know, really wide to show the, you know, epic scale of the movie. And uh, I don't think it works. But that's okay. Here he falls. It's still kind of campy and funny. Okay, he finally gets him down. He's going to kill him, but wait, what's this? Oh my God, there's the medallion. So we got the first henchman. We found the medallion. Hopefully you realize he throws dirt in his eyes. 
And uh, that's enough for him to lose him. Off Bob goes. Okay, well, anyway, that's over with, thank God. Now Simon has to go back to the restaurant because it's all starting to make sense to him now, I think. Ah, collecting these things now. So here it is, back to the courtyard. And that's Susanna Hoffs from the Bangles, who was the girlfriend of the chef who jumped in and got his throat slashed, who we were hanging with, and he was a friend of ours. Uh, Ian was his name. And uh, this guy with the sword dancing, I don't know. I mean, I don't always do any nunchuckers, but he, got, he was a sword dancer. It's so weird he came out. I mean, you got to wonder, this is the guy's act, that he really did this. That's my mother-in-law, and we don't know who she is. That's my mother-in-law's friend. Uh, and they came out to eat chicken for us. To me, they're the most real thing in the movie, you know. And here's the lame magician impressing a little baby because this is the level that the tricks work at is you have to be about 18 months old to be impressed by his sleight of hand, which we thought was hilarious, you know, because he's out impressing the children of the village. Uh, we should have worked more on that. That could have been, could have been really developed, but uh, we ran out of time and money. It's too bad. I mean, if you want people to be likable, have children love them. So we could have had a very likable lame magician, but it uh, didn't work out that way. Um, we thought Simon scoping out the uh, restaurant was funny. And uh, here's where it gets kind of David Lynchian. You just get lost in this editing loop that never quite changes because we rolled the camera on this. And so, you know, we had to use all the footage. Um, and I think that's funny because the... Uh, chicken's actually disgusting, and the lady won't eat it. She like ah, she kind of gags when she tries to eat it. Uh, here's the um, the kung fu army is having lunch there, and everybody's just sort of like with their backs turned. This was one of the funniest things we thought we did in the movie, where Simon finds the heads, and uh, he doesn't know what's going on. Uh, we actually had a, a tray where we cut you know, like uh, holes in it for stock, like for stocks and a breakaway table too. And had these guys actually come on this day and stick their heads through there that we made little chicken things around them. And I cannot believe that they did that. That is so funny. And there's the chickens. That is the most funny thing ever. Um, Simon flips the table. Um, from this point on, our commentary was always that uh, whenever we got mad, it was like, dude, I'm going to flip a table. Um, and of course they're, of course, Simon gets so mad that he beats everybody up in the restaurant. I mean, that's the only thing you do when you see heads in front of you is you start kung fu attacking random people uh, that you a minute ago were just uh, eating. But this guy's game. He's game for the for the fight. We don't know what this is about. Um, they didn't choreograph it very well. I think they really were fighting each other. Um, this guy did not want to be beat by Simon, but he gets his head kicked. And now my favorite shot in the movie coming up is the whole Kung Fu army comes in. This little pullback. This is sort of like the, the George Lucas sock hop shot, if you know that one. And what's amazing is the stunts where the guys take hits actually look good. Uh, considering this is all one take with no rehearsals, 
the fact that the stuff looks good. Oh, the food fight, of course, is one of our favorite things. It didn't quite work uh, where people were starting to throw rice bowls. Um, we were going for the comedy here because God knows why. It just made us laugh. Uh, there's Steve. Steve takes it here. Oh, he goes up on the on the thing. We do another stunt. Oh, thank you, Steve, for crashing into those chairs with no shirt on. He was a trooper, man. He was good. This is uh, Bob failing to uh, sell it again. But that was a good hit. Nice, Simon. Okay. We really needed Andre the Giant. We really did. But I like his costume. It's still cool. He just doesn't know how to act. And he, these guys all get up at once. That's so funny. Um, the master sends them away. Simon doesn't notice. He thinks the master's on his side still. That's part of the Kung Fu plot. You know, that the uh, master has to fool the, uh, the hero. Funny sound effects. Stuff. And now Simon's completely fooled. It's a little dark. The famous beach scene, <clears throat> I don't know if you noticed, but there is a skeleton over uh, next to the cliff. This is out in Malibu, out by Point Doom. Um, there's the skeleton. And uh, once again, we're at dawn before anybody can stop us. You know, most of our exterior exteriors were dawn calls because, you know, we figured we'd film and get out before anybody showed up and bothered us. Um, beautiful, uh, beautiful day though. Very soft light. The uh, first, well, second uh, major dialogue scene in the movie. He has three or four lines. Everyone likes this, the go home. We just figured he's magic, so he would uh, uh, not just leave in a normal way. He would like magically leave by, you know, every time Simon looks back at him, he's a little farther away. Um, uh, which we thought was a legitimate uh, wizard, you know, master thing to do. But uh, for some reason, people really think it's funny. Funnier than we thought at the time. Uh, but it is. It's a funny gag. And now Simon's finally looking out at Tatooine or whatever he's doing, trying to decide what to do. So his plan is to go back and try to get more information from the Buddha. So here we are back at um, Barnesdale Park. That's, I think, where it was. Uh, and uh, Simon's dashing up through the rocks. We told him to run through. He falls and everything. We have to use it because it's just one take. A lot of screen time burned up and uh, people getting from A to B. But once again, it's dawn. You can see the light in the sky. That's me doing the Buddha. You know, Tom and I did all the voices of the movie. Um, we figured that he... This is, this is where the Buddha now reveals that Shan is evil. And uh, we knew this was going to happen, but it wasn't until we were in the editing room that we decided to uh, uh, cut all the outtakes together for the hallucination scene. Um, and basically because the film was running so short, we thought, well, we can we can pick up another minute of screen time or 40 seconds of screen time um, 
if we use all the uh, outtakes from the movie. So Simon gets flashes of things that have already happened that he was not there to see, as well as things that are yet to happen, uh, to clue him in on on uh, different events. There's a little science fiction gun which never appears in the film. It was a, an outtake that we didn't like and it didn't work. Had a little ray gun. We were going to have it actually go off. Chan laughing in his dojo. And uh, more lame magic. Uh, the explosions, by the way, were done with um, just black powder in an ashtray. Um, so we got a can of black powder because we needed the stuff for the astral plane. For some reason, there were second takes of this stuff. I don't know why. Something must have happened to the exposure or something, but we seem to use it. So again, lots of fast cuts. People say, yeah, the whole movie's you know, very long and in single takes, but you know, there's flurries of uh, fast cuts in this movie. Okay, Simon's finally getting it together. He doesn't know what happened to him. So he, he now sees the, the Buddha has given him magic farm implements. We don't know what these things are, some sort of weapon. He's got to get over there to get them, which is also kind of dangerous, but he, make, he makes it. There we go. He's game. You think he's going to use him for a weapon, but of course he's actually going to do some Indiana Jones thing with him. So that's, that's a twist. It's a twist. Here he goes. Tried to get a close-up of him in case you didn't see him. More shoe leather as he burns up screen time going from A to B. Now we got to get back here. Yes, because that's the way. And we're back to the uh, illegal location. Again, we couldn't get up on the balcony, so when he does try to climb the rope to get up, it's you know really fake. Um, we wanted to get him on the side of the building, but that was impossible. Um, if we'd had, you know, like one more day of shooting, I think we could have faked some stuff and, and made it work. Uh, but six days of shooting is hard. It's hard to get a whole movie in six days. Um, you've really got to uh, shoot fast, um, set up the camera. Actors hit their marks. You push the button. You move on. That's all there is. Um, here's the little guy who was going to do the sound. He's uh, leaving. It looks like the door is open. I don't know how we got the door open. It does seem to be opening up, though. It is. Unbelievable. Um, these are three takes of him with the chicken. We kept asking him not to run like that because we thought it was too comedic. I'm kind of ridiculous. We, we actually thought it was a little more serious that he was escaping with chickens, but he kept doing it. Uh, and in the end, um, we had three takes of it, and we decided to use them all. So part of the explanation of why does he keep coming out like that? Does time pass? And the answer is no. They're replicants. They're actually clones. They're robots. Uh, they all look the same. Uh, there's only a certain number of models, and one is the little fat guy, and that's part of the plot. Do you stop to think about it? Okay, here he is trying to uh, throw this up there. You, you will not see it happen. Hopefully it makes sense. Oh, it's uh, I think it's a piece of gaffer's tape, a ball of gaffer's tape we threw up over there. We obviously couldn't throw metal objects. 
And now Simon's going to pretend to climb that rope. Okay, well, that's the best he can do. There's a sound effect. Oh, there's Tom, the co-director. Um, there was so much to do, we lost track of who was in charge of the movie, so Tom and I split the director's credit and the producing credit and the writing credit. I mean, it was just a lot of work for two people. Okay. He gives him the magic test. Guard this with your life. Oh, it's another lame trick. Even Chan's impressed by the magician. Back in our office. This is the dialogue that explains a lot of the movie, where he says, do you realize what these replicants are costing me? Uh, it's a reference to Blade Runner, of course. You know, all these uh, replicants from off-world. Um, because we decided in the end that... Uh, uh, Chan and his army should be aliens. And the only reason we decided this, and, and that they should be robots, uh, is because it, it was the only way to explain how the acting was so wooden. They're so uh, stiff that the only explanation, the only possible explanation is they're not actually human. They're actually robots. And uh, that was what we finally decided. That's me, believe it or not. I get turned into a, a chicken. There I go. Um, I was 12 years old, as you can see. Well, no, I just look 12 years old. Uh, I get turned into a chicken twice because we did a second take and we needed all the uh, footage, so we ended up using uh, both takes. Um, and that's uh, actually um, some hairspray uh, in front of the camera with a chicken behind it. We held the chicken next to the hairspray so you would actually see the chicken's head through the flames. Don't ask me why, but we thought it was cool. There, oh, third take. I get turned into a chicken three times. There, there's, a, see my hand? Yeah, there's a chicken back there. Okay. Now he jumps off the balcony, which you don't actually see. Uh, my friend's dog, who was a big executive in the movie studios, he brought his Doberman out. We used to play poker together. Thank you, Joe. Um, and that's for the joke. That's funny. That's me doing the dog sound. We never thought that uh, the black shirt against the black building would be an issue. Uh, we thought being Dawn that we'd get a lot more reflections off of the, uh, the black building there like that. That's what we thought it was going to look like. Uh, but it didn't quite work out. Um, this was shot later after we'd uh, transferred some of the footage um, and uh, played it on uh, three-quarter inch in those monitors of the... Um, it was a remote truck, a remote video truck, and uh, I don't know how we scammed that. Um, it's a couple of our friends uh, reading comic books and sleeping. These are the lame Devo guards. They're barely paying attention. Uh, the white paint suits were uh, from our Devo band called the Durrs, um, which uh, we had a box of them in the garage, and we figured that uh, uh, they were uh, white paper paint suits. They got, cost 25 cents each. We needed costumes for the uh, uh, for the Kung Fu Army, and uh, it was a cheap solution. There's our Devo band. That's called the Durs. We figured at some, at the, on the last day when we were shooting, we needed screen time, and we thought, well, as long as we're using the Durs' uh, stage costumes, uh, we may as well put the band in the movie because, uh, you know, they're chilling. You know, the, the guards are chilling. They're just uh, hanging, and, and then they've got to run off when the, uh, when the alarm sounds. So when they pour out of the building here in a second, uh, you know, some of those guys are actually the Devo band. 
and uh, they've all got the Devo sunglasses and the the whole thing. So it's kind of a mix between the guys in the Chinese shirts, the uh, guys in their karate outfits, and the and the and the Devo band, Devo guards. We didn't stop to think about if that made sense or not. Uh, but that's the army. It's rather a large kung fu army uh, of Simon's and Phil's students. And poor Howard, he just didn't like getting beat up. Simon's shirt finally comes off. That's a joke right there. Everybody hits the guys. And we had to get Simon, you know, with his muscles showing for the film. This is important. He has a great six-pack. Everybody running past the camera. Now we're back in Malibu Canyon again um, at the creek bed. And the point of the creek bed is, you know, I really like the creek bed scene because here the big wide David Lean shots really work. Here's Simon being chased by an enormous number of people all in long shot and he's beating them up. Um, here they just keep coming. There's more and more and more of them just keep arriving. He's got to fight the giant Kung Fu army. Um, and Simon has the ability to actually jump and more come, jump up in the air and knock down three people at once like that. That is so cool. And here he hits him before he hits the ground. Boom, boom. Three guys before he hits the ground. That's a Simon Ree signature move. So <clears throat> that is the real reason that we didn't use a lot of fast cuts in the fight scenes, a lot of the stuff with Simon, because he really is able to do these, you know, pretty incredible things. And we just wanted to, you know, show off the karate. We figured the main audience for the film was uh, uh, karate guys. You know, it's a karate film. And, you know, they'd enjoy the fantasy, too, because it's funny. But they were going to really admire the fighting. <clears throat> and there is a core uh, group of people that do that. There are uh, reviews online from hardcore uh, karate fans and karate, you know, kung fu film fans or karate film fans. It's not kung fu, it's karate. Um, and they review the fighting, and uh, they're very impressed with it. Here's Simon with three more guys. And uh, these guys are kind of waiting to go in which is kind of lame. But you see that in a lot of movies where the bad guys surround them and they don't quite all go in at once. But, you know, when they do, Simon takes care of them, so we're cool. Uh, the Creek Bed is a scene where he has to defeat the second henchman, which is Howard Jackson. The, uh, they're called point fighters. He's a, a tiger claw fighter. Um... And in uh, his real life, this I guess this is called point fighting, where you hit the people with your fingertips because uh, the uh, pressure you get from a small uh, area uh, is much greater than if you get hit with the same force from a large area. So it's much more painful to be hit by your fingertips if you know how to do it. So he was actually a tiger claw fighter. That's for real. Um, I did not appreciate that stuff when we started the movie, but I do now. And now... Uh, Chan is doing the confusing kill him, kill him, where at this point in the movie, maybe you think that he's saying kill Simon, but of course, in the plot of the movie, it's kill Howard, because he has to consecrate the medallions with the R of death, and that's how it goes. Um, so on second viewing, you start to understand the intricacies of the plot, such as they are. Oh, Howard accidentally fell. We thought we'd use that. It's like, okay, that's enough of that. And uh, now he's mad. He's actually mad at us because he got all muddy and wet. So that's 
That's Howard actually mad. Uh, the bridge where Steve Louisiana gets to uh, jump off a bunch of times, which is really cool. Steve loved doing the high falls. And uh, Simon has to uh, face the fact that he's now stuck on the bridge. And uh, what's he going to do with these guys? Kick him in the head, of course. Oh, I think that was Steve. This guy who didn't seem to be able to zip up his uh, paint suit. But he could do that thing. Uh, once again, well, this was midday. I think uh, we were lucky enough not to get bothered by picnickers. Okay, so this is Steve. There's Steve. He's, he's got the bushy blonde hair. Oh, and he was really good about getting hit in the head. Oh, jumped off the thing. That's Steve again. And a guy with black hair lands. So blonde goes off the bridge, black-haired guy lands. There you go. Conduity error. There's the black-haired guy. He jumps off. Oh. Now he has to finally fight Howard. And uh, we're glad because Howard did not get along with Simon. They were bitter enemies. You would think egos wouldn't matter on a project this large, uh, but they did. And uh, sorry, didn't quite sell that punch. Uh, I got to talk about Steve Louisiana. He really did a good job. He he grew his hair long like that because uh, when he snapped his head, it would look like uh, an impact from being hit because the hair would fly out. And uh, he actually worked on like Rocky Three and stuff like that, where he was in the ring. They would shoot him from behind because he really practiced all day long. Um, with his roommate uh, filming himself in Super 8 uh, so that he looked like he was taking punches. Uh, there he is, jumping off the bridge a few times. Bad continuity, left side, right side. We can we just use the footage. Um, and here's a very convincing hit. That was a good guy. I don't know who he is. Back to the children. We loved the children. Uh, we were intending to make a children's movie. I mean, with all this fantasy and flying wizards and magic, it was supposed to be a kid's film. Um, and we wanted kids in it. We wanted kids to play kind of a larger role, but we only had them for half a day, um, you know, a couple hours. So these scenes of the treehouse, and then we uh, we all put them in a car and went down to the, um, the black building for this scene where they uh, attack the Devo guards. Um... But, you know, we thought it was sweet that Simon had uh, a child army against the uh, evil Devo army. Um, it's definitely, you know, supposed to be entertaining. So here they are. We're just filming this off the cuff. People ask if we had a script, and the true story is uh, there was a, we had a third partner, and the guy was supposed to write the script. And uh, we kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally, it was about a week before the shoot. And Tom and I had done all the pre-production because we knew what the story was, you know, the basic kung fu story of the three henchmen and the uh, the medallions. Uh, so we knew the stuff we had to put together and the location. So we kept putting all the production value together while this other guy was supposed to write the script. And then he never did. And finally, a week before the shoot, we said, okay, where's the script? And he's like, well, you know, I don't really have it. 
So, um, you know, the story is we have to have that uncomfortable coffee shop conversation where we go, well, guess what? You know, I don't think we can, uh, I don't think we can go on with this partnership. You're not really doing, you didn't contribute anything. You know, you can't, you can't be our third partner because uh, you never came up with a script. So we're really unhappy with that. So that guy was our enemy for life. He carried a gun and stalked us all through Los Angeles for decades. Uh, he had a 45 in his briefcase. That's a true story. And he'd call me on the phone and, uh, um, you know, threaten my life. Say, I've got a bullet for you, Everett. He was so, he was so angry. Um, so be careful when you make a movie because you always make enemies. But, you know, you can't proceed with people like that. You know, there was no way. What was he going to do? He didn't write the script. So we showed up on the script on the set without a script. Uh, but we knew what had to happen. And we were making a visual movie anyway. It was just all shots. So we just did shots. Um, here's another one of those strange editing loops you get into because we, you know, let the camera run too long. But we still had to use all the footage. Um, the idea that uh, Simon is going to... Uh, use his kung fu against the magic powers of the evil sorcerer. It's a very static, um, shot fireballs out of his hands. Um, and then we weren't, ha we weren't satisfied with that. We thought it was funnier if he shot chickens out of his hands. So they're actually chickens and fireballs. So when you shoot the fireball, we'd throw a chicken into the shot and we were hoping it would, uh, it would uh, look like it was shooting chickens. And, and people, people do like that. They go, Oh my God, is he shooting chickens out of his hands? And the answer is yes, he is. But here's the weird editing book, because we wanted to show Simon's hand, and then his hand, and then Simon's kung fu hand, and then the magic hand, and, you know, that was going to be, you know, build all this dramatic tension. But uh, for some reason, you know, maybe we didn't get the camera in close enough. Maybe it's just the shots. Yeah, there's that chicken shot right out of his hand. That was really cool. Uh, the fireballs came from a little magic ring that shot flash paper. And uh, we... Uh, had an accident on the set, the little guy, the little fat guy who uh, was going to do the sound, uh, he was actually loading the um, this little metal tube with flash paper, and uh, it exploded in his hands, burned his hands. Oh, there's the pig. This is so funny. We're holding the pig up in front of the mirror. Um, we asked Simon to just kick. He, he didn't know what he was looking at. We explained it to him later. Um, we didn't film with this pig at the same time as Simon. I think, no, I think, think he is actually on the set because he reached, there he is. Yeah, Simon. Um, but Simon didn't quite understand what was going on. He, we said, well, the pig's talking. So he said, what's he saying? So we'll decide that later. So we actually did write the dialogue later. We put peanut butter in the pig's mouth to make his mouth do that. And then, yes, he's chewing. And then later uh, wrote the dialogue to match the lip, the pig's mouth. And I'm kind of, to me, it's remarkable how well the words fit into the pig's mouth. I think that's really amazing because we edited it first and then wrote the dialogue to go with it so that it would look like the pig talking. And that's me talking, of course. I'm the pig. And um, at this point, we felt somebody had to explain what was going on in the movie. So, you know, the lines about the Chan becoming evil because of capitalism and fast food franchises. Uh, it was the only explanation we had um, for why they were turning people into chickens and had a chicken restaurant. And the magician works there. And uh, they're, you know, showing up in the truck for the big fight at the beginning of the movie with chickens in boxes. To, to us, it all made perfect sense at the time. Um, and if you stop to think about it, it really does. So finally, 
the pig dies. Simon's back at our office in Marina del Rey. And uh, the final confrontation with Chan. So the movie's speeding toward a climax. There has to be one final fight. And it turns out there's two or three because we were burning up screen time with their fighting. Also, Simon and Phil really, really wanted to do these final fights with each other because they had not been able to fight each other uh, for the entire film. So they had choreographed some rather remarkable stuff that they were very proud of. And um, they promised us that they were going to show matte techniques never before seen on film. That's what they told us. And we're like, okay, that's just great. So uh, we let them, you know, do their choreography. And uh, we dutifully filmed it. So these are all their things that they had planned out in advance for us. And you got to admit, you know, you, you, you got to appreciate that they had, you know, planned all this choreography um, where the fights with Howard were much more like real fights because Simon and Howard didn't like each other and they could not agree that I hit you, then you hit me, then I hit you. And they were like, you know, no, I want to hit you twice. And no, I'm going to hit you twice. And then, and then we'd say, okay, you guys stop fighting. Let's just film it. And then they would go ahead and do whatever the hell they wanted. Where, where this is much more uh, tightly choreographed. Also, the uh, editing gets uh, very fast because we're reaching the climax of the movie, so we have to speed the cutting up. So this isn't uh, a lot of um, stuff all shot in one. Uh, much faster editing. I think Tom cut the sequence. I think he did a very, very good job. Oh, this like fast little cuts there. So we really started having some fun with the editing at this point. Um, and Simon, of course, oh, he kicks him in the nuts. Uh, just duvetine background in our office on the weekend. You know, offices were closed on the weekend, so we had the place to ourselves. Um, nice, fast cuts. Good job, Tom. And now some... We didn't think this was like really intentional comedy. We just thought it was like magic stuff. I mean, we thought it was funny, but <clears throat> I don't think we quite realized how funny it was. <clears throat> He's like up on the uh, rafters. Um, the funny thing was that Phil was game for all this stuff. You know, we'd tell him, now get up on the rafters and laugh. And he didn't understand what was going on either of the movie because we didn't explain it to anybody. We were just, you know, everything shot out of sequence. So nobody understood what the, what the, how the movie was going to be cut together. We were the only people that got it. Uh, and Phil came to me on the last day of the shoot. Um, and he said uh, to me, tell me the truth, Tim. Is this movie a comedy? <laughs> and Tom and I were standing there, and, and we're like, uh, I don't know, Phil, are, are you a comedian? You know, uh, you tell me. Okay, here he is. I think he hits a trampoline here and tries to jump over the camera. Here he goes. Boom. Well, kind of, sort of. Simon, of course, is not hurt at all, and he has the magic tusk. And he's off to capture. Oh, he's got to beat these guys up. Well, these guys have guns now. This is kind of interesting. It didn't quite work out. Okay, Phil is standing on the skid of the helicopter, and we're holding on to his belt. And again, he was very game for this. Uh, we had just filmed the uh, opening shot, 
of uh, Arlene being chased by the uh, Mongol warriors. And uh, Phil was in the copter with us, and he's like, what am I supposed to do? And it's like, well, just stand on the skid. We'll hang on to you and act like you're flying. So we're like, you know, a thousand feet in the air. Uh, that's a bird, a, a hawk that actually was flying by. We were just turning the camera on, rolling in at the beginning of a um, a roll and got that piece of scrap film and ended up in the movie. It actually looks like a guy flying. Okay, so Phil has flown to the mountaintop in the same amount of time it took Simon to run there. Uh, so that's a little strange. But hey, it's a movie, okay? Um, and now uh, Phil gets to assemble the pieces, which he does wrong, which was f funny because he has to, like, redo it. And since it's all just one take, you know, he, you see his mistake on camera. It's a magic box that we borrowed from uh, Mika, the magician, which um, you put things in it and then it opens up and it, it's empty. So we, that's there. He makes a mistake. That's okay. We roll with it. There's the medallion that uh, somebody made. Simon climbing the rock. He falls at this point, actually. I think he, you'll see him fall, but we kept it because we thought it was funny. Well, up the sheer face of the cliff. This is where Arlene was, too. Uh, never occurring to us that it was dangerous. And now, Phil kind of acting like a kung fu master. Oh, there he goes. He actually fell off the cliff at that point. Um, this goes in. And then we did an in-camera effect for Arlene in the sky, and I forget now even how we did it. Um, but she's wearing white which indicates to me that, yeah, it wasn't in camera. We just did a, a B-roll in the answer print because white turns to black in the answer print, so it would double print. The only part, We knew the only part that would print would be her darker head against the light sky, and we had a chance that this would work, and it did. So, uh, And I think that's Tom's wife uh, doing the scream and uh, the uh, voice of Arlene later. Um, we built a little organ of uh, tubes uh, with a, um, a nail board to shoot all the uh, uh, flash paper. Um, and this is just uh, Dubatine at night outside somebody's house one night uh, with all the black powder. They're supposed to be flying in the astral plane fighting each other. Uh, it was hard. We couldn't quite put together the uh, little flying rig we wanted. so. They uh, are just jumping around in the astral plane. This is a dragon's head that someone brought that night. So we thought that Chan would turn into a dragon chewing on a um, on a skeleton. We thought it would be worth its weight in uh, something for the poster. So on the poster, the original poster, there's actually a big green dragon as if that's in the movie. So here they are just fighting each other in the smoke. It's a battle on the astral plane because they're magic. Um, we were, we were going to do more of this. We wanted uh, Arlene there. We wanted ghosts there. We wanted this huge cosmic battle of uh, all the dead kung fu fighters and everything. Uh, and that was uh, going to be the seventh day of shooting. We we're going to shoot for seven days, except that uh, Simon and Phil uh, uh, went to Tijuana on Saturday night, the night before the last day, and they got totally hammered and drunk. And so they <clears throat> didn't quite show up the last day. Um, they did, but it was really late in the day. 
um, so we didn't have time to get the rest of the astral plane stuff. I believe um, part of this scene here was uh, the last day of shooting, and uh, I was so pissed at Phil, and he's like, hey, what are you worried about? Hey, we showed up. We're getting it, aren't we? And it's like, yeah, well, you know, we lost, you know, five or six hours of filming uh, that really... It was the part that was going to take us up to the, you know, 80-minute mark. You know, we, we wanted like 80, 80, 85 minutes we felt was decent. And we could have filmed another, you know, six or seven, eight minutes of uh, battle and, and magic stuff. And we, it was the big production value uh, for the movie was going to be the battle for the astral plane. Um, and we didn't get it. So we're, we were heartbroken. Um, and we ended up with this battle as the final climactic battle, because this is what Phil and Simon showed up for. They were, they came for this. So this is all we could film. And, uh, it's like, after all that magic, Phil pull, pulls a knife and we're just like, what? But you know, they choreographed it and they had it all planned out. So it's like, okay, fine. You know, the, the magic Kung Fu master after an entire battle on the astral plane pulls a knife. We'll go for that. They run up to the top of the cliff. This is uh, Will Rogers State Park. Here's the other helicopter shot. We dropped the two actors off after Phil flew, you know, on the skid of the helicopter and landed uh, there after telling the guy we had the permits. Uh, you do see a road in the background, and there is a, um, there's the road. There is, there it is. There's a ranger station off in the distance, and there's a white pickup truck parked at the ranger station, and we could see it from the helicopter, and we knew because we had um, scouted it that there was uh, 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 an eight-minute delay from the time you could drive from that ranger station to this point. So we figured if we uh, saw the truck coming from the helicopter, that uh, we had eight minutes to get the hell out of there and for the actress to run away. So they were instructed that if suddenly the helicopter flew away fast, they were to haul down the other side of the mountains. They had eight minutes before the rangers got there. That's a true story. Uh, the skeleton we got from a prop house, uh, we set it on fire. Uh, I think it was pretty busted up by the time we took it back. Um, again, uh, Arlene in an in-camera trick, or uh, at least... Um, some kind of post-production trick. Trying to get him to come down, down. More crazy fast cuts. We set that skeleton on fire at the top of the mountain. And uh, that's it. That's basically the end of the movie. We realized how short it was at that point. And we're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? We've got to use all these outtakes somewhere. So we decided to go ahead and do a big um, uh, end title sequence. Um, and I believe the last shot of the movie is this one here of Simon coming down the mountain and uh, kicking at the camera, because why not? Bunch of fast cuts, little kids. We knew that this would be uh, the end of the film. You can see the dolly tracks there in the video version. Uh, 185, it's out. And Simon bows to the camera. We think that's very nice. Of course, it's almost the end because uh, we're, I think, 69 minutes at this point. So that's why, basically why we filmed the Devo Band, because uh, we needed the screen time and, um, and the rest of the outtakes. These are all pieces of film that for some reason or another had to be refilmed, except the Devo Band. 
and uh, we thought we'd call out all the actors. We happen to have at least one take of all the principal actors, so everybody gets a shot. There's Howard in his Darth Vader shot. I don't know why we did two of those. Must have bumped the camera later on. Uh, this is Phil, who's... That was a cool shot, because Phil was kind of jealous of Simon because Simon had this move where he could jump up in the air and knock down three people before he hit the ground. And so Phil insisted for no reason whatsoever, had no place in the movie, that we film him jumping up in the air and knocking down five people. So when you think about that, that's pretty cool. So we couldn't say no to him and uh, we filmed the shot and it ended up in the title sequence. So that actually is Phil doing a signature five-person before I hit the ground knockout. Poor Joyce. We asked her to wear a Hawaiian shirt or something oriental, and she came in that sweater. Uh, it was too late. It was dawn. We didn't have time to go get her something, so she just wore that outfit. John Potter. It's the only outtake we had. He's laying on the ground. Sorry, John. Steve. For some reason, there's a stunt. High fall that we didn't use. I don't even know why. That's Tom on bass. I've normally uh, played keyboards, uh, but that's uh, a friend because I was operating the camera, standing in for me on the keyboards. And uh, Ian, who played the uh, chef, is on the drums. I believe this is his living room we were in. Those were his uh, big clips speakers. Um, and we were uh, rehearsing there. For some reason, we set everything up and filmed these shots. Uh, we played in Orange County with a bunch of different bands and around Hollywood and at Madame Wong's West. Uh, we were part of the 80s punk revolution um, called the Durs. We played under a bunch of different names. There's a whole story about that. Um, this crawl is kind of interesting because um, we took it off um, uh, most of it from uh, uh, The Wrath of Khan because we needed the screen time. Uh, so we thought we'd get put on like a three or four minute crawl. Uh, but what's kind of amazing is uh, the names that are in it, the kids and the fighters, and uh, a lot of these people really are uh, the real people. So apparently we went in and, um, and tweaked a lot of these names. Uh, the names like of the cameraman and stuff, they didn't exist. That's just all fake. And what we did was we slipped the first names and the last names so they didn't line up. Uh, from the uh, other crawl um, because somebody we knew was working at uh, Pacific Title that uh, did movie titles. So these are not real names like David Olianek is actually probably Howard Olianek and you know so on, Peter such and such. Um, but all of these people uh, are completely fake. It was really just Tom and me. Uh, Ian came once in a while uh, a couple days to help us and um, uh, my girlfriend Verna who I married uh, she came and brought a chicken uh, for us a couple of times uh, but mostly it was just me and Tom on the set uh, making a two-man movie and that's about all there was so all fake names uh, but we did put ourselves down as editors and some stuff like that it really was uh, mixed at Glen Glen um, uh, the story there is uh, they would uh, do screen tests for the studios. It would only take like an hour in the morning, but they'd have to pull a full union crew in. Glen Glen was a top place in town. And uh, we agreed to fill up the rest of the day if they just let us do the mix. And uh, so we got our mix down for like $1.98. Very simple movie, $19,000 all in. Thank you for listening to the commentary of Furious.